Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Antonio Neves, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Best Thing Podcast. Before we dig into this amazing episode with Elaine Welteroth, I want to remind you, if you have not already subscribed to my podcast, hit subscribe right now wherever you are listening. And of course, if you dig the podcast, please leave a review, leave those five stars if you dig it. If it adds value to your life, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, I want to let you know that if right now you are thinking about your career at all, maybe it's a a challenging time, if you head over to my website at theantonionevs.com, something's going to pop up and you're going to have access to sign up for five free career reports. Five free career reports that will help you navigate this truly unique time. Once again, theantonionevs.com. That address is in the show notes as well. So now without further delay, let's get to the show. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey everyone, welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to ever happen to them that would rarely show up on a resume, bio, or come up in conversation. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm a speaker, author, and coach. And each week I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. Now, this week's guest is someone I've known for over 10 years. We met back in New York City, and it has been so much fun to watch her journey. Elaine Welteroth is a New York Times bestselling author of the book More Than Enough, which is now out in paperback. Not only that, she's also an award-winning journalist and judge on the new Project Runway. Elaine is known for her groundbreaking work at the helm of Teen Vogue, where in 2017, she was appointed the youngest editor-in-chief at a Condé Nast publication. Today, she's a leading expert and advocate for the next generation of changemakers. Now, look, all of that is great. And you know what's truly special about Elaine goes far beyond her resume, and that is that she's just an amazing human being with a huge heart, and I'm so honored to call her a friend, Elaine Welteroth, E. Boogie, (laughs) E. Welcome to the best day. (laughs) Wow, what an intro. Thank you, Antonio. I'm honored. This is like, you still have that, you still have that TV voice. I like it. Yeah, that TV voice. It's a little Mm -hmm. smoother now, but it's everything I read was was the truth. And, and I mentioned in that intro that we go back well over 10 years and I met you before some pretty much everything that I just said mm-hmm. existed. And, and to go mm-hmm. really go back, Elaine, I can think back to the very first time we met and you gave me a business card. Oh and my you gosh. Gave me, you, gave me a, <laughs> you gave me a business. You worked for a publication at the time, but that publication mm-hmm. would not let you get business cards for whatever reason. But what I loved is that you still got your own business card printed yourself. You didn't even have an email, an official email address with the publication, but you still got that business card printed with your email. Do you, do you remember that? And can you think oh, back to that one? My God. Antonio, I forgot all about that. I literally blocked that from my mind. I, I, I had no, I just wrote a book. I've been digging up, you know, memories from that period of time. Um, 
you know, for a living. And I truly, until you just said that, I had completely forgotten about that. That is hysterical. That is so funny. And that's why you used to always call me um, by my janky email. (laughs) (laughs) What was it? Do you remember? It was something janky. It was something like elaine.ebonymag at gmail.com. Or like Hotmail or like something like Yahoo, like not even Gmail. <laughs> but, but what I love about that is even in that moment, prior to all these things happening, you weren't waiting. You weren't asking for permission from someone else. You chose to lean in and make that moment happen for yourself. So you had something to hand, hand across to people you were interviewing yeah. and meeting, right? Yeah. Wow. I can't stop smiling. That is hysterical. <laughs> yeah, I know you've been way back. But tell me this, you know, the response of your book, which is coming out in paperback now, has been overwhelming i mean all you have to do is go to social media and do the hashtag more than enough this is such an honest true version i I read so many memoirs that you can tell they put a little bit of polish on it they put a little bit of veneer on it to to not be so raw and vulnerable but you put everything out there is that why you would say the response from people worldwide has, has been so genuine You know, I think so, because the truth is what connects us. Um, And I think when one woman tells her truth, she gives permission to other women to own and tell theirs too. And that was really the goal. I don't even really identify with the term memoir. To me, this is testimony. And um, everyone has testimony. And mine just happens to be in a book. But what happens when we share our testimony is we expose a lot of um, the universal truths and struggles um, that we all are faced with, that we all have to find a way to overcome. And we, you know, by sharing those stories, we're sharing our tools as well. well. And uh, I basically wrote the book that I wished I had when I was, you know, climbing the ranks of corporate America as a young Black woman um, and, you know, eventually as a leader. And uh, I I hope that a book like this, you know, has the power to not only create a sense of community, which it has. I'm so so just in awe of the women and the the people who've come together around this book to share their stories with me. Um, But I also hope that it opens the doors for other women and people of color and people who have been traditionally marginalized to claim some space to tell their stories too. Cause I think we, I think it, the time is now and we, we need those stories. They are lighting the path forward for the next generation. So, so yeah, I think being honest, being vulnerable um, and connecting with what is real, what is truly you and authentic is it's, it's a power. There's a power in that. It's a superpower. Um, and so yeah, I never thought twice about creating a veneer um, around any any story that I told because that was just antithetical to the mission, which was to tell the truth. Tell the truth. And what's dope is in the top of the book, I want to say in the dedication, you have a, a quote or dedication that basically says, for every girl who aspires to be great. And I think this gives them this book. Obviously, the title does that more than enough, but the message you convey over the, the pages does that for them. I'm, I'm curious for you, having the background, we both a journalist. Uh, you know, my working in the television years for networks for over 10 years, you're working on the other side of it, but with networks now, as a journalist for so long, we very, very rarely get to tell our own opinion, right? We're, we're, we're telling someone else's story. And most times when you're telling a story, you're telling two sides. So the best thing that we want to do is be fair, but you've had to strike out and be willing to tell your story, to have mm-hmm. a voice, to have an 
opinion. I'm curious for you, how, how challenging was it, Elaine, if at all, to step outside of journalist and just to fully step into Elaine and find your voice? Mm-hmm. It was a tough gear shift because you're right. You know, you said it perfectly as a journalist, you are trained to tell um, other people's stories and you're trained to tell, you know, if it's an issue that you're exploring, you're trained to tell both sides of the story. And so to turn that lens on my own life uh, was sort of counterintuitive. Um, but at the same time, I, I think it was very, very clear to me because this writing this book really was a calling. It was something that I felt called to do. Um, you know, it was, it wasn't something that I endeavored to do in my own strength and my own power, my own, of my own will. It was something that was revealed to me that I, I, it's part of my purpose it's part of my calling. And so I answered the call. And I think once you are able to wrestle with your ego and get out of your own way, you reach a state of flow. And um, it did start to just flow. I, I really could see very clearly the stories that I had to share and that I had to tell and how to tell them um, very, very clearly from the, from the onset of the project and um, the order in which I needed to tell them. And the hardest part was just managing my ego, managing myself, managing the process of being exposed and, and not having any control over how it was received. Um, but I think that what I focused on in those moments was my intention I just went back. I mean, I created uh, my first chapter is instead of doing a um, like preface, if you will, I, I did an intention. Um, I wrote out my intention very clearly um, because that became sort of a roadmap or a mission statement that I could come back to that would help me, you know, help me kind of move, move the narrative forward and get out of my own way and remember, remember, remember my why. So, you know, I, I'm just grateful that I was able to write a book that was so true to my intention and um, that its impact, uh, the, the, the impact that it had on, that it has had and that it's having on people um, is in line with that intention, you know, and I, I worried, I will tell you my fear in writing this book as someone who was known to the world as a journalist, first and foremost, um, was that, you know, people might come to this expecting to hear the story of how Teen Vogue got woke, you know, like to hear the, the just the corporate story, you know, um, and want it to be a business book or that they would be coming to it thinking that it would be an advice book or that they would be coming to it and, and you know, hoping to find some salacious details, you know, about like I said that, you know, assuming it might be a, a salacious tell all of, on, you know, the world inside of, you know, the, the walls of Condé Nast. And it really wasn't about any of that. It wasn't about the story of how teen vote got woke. It was the story of how one woman woke up to the power of her own voice and used it to change an institution from the inside out. And, and it's about finding your agency and, finding courage and, you know, it's about identity and ambition and it, it deals with race. And, you know, it's, it's packed with a lot of rich themes that I feel like I've always been trying to explore through my work, but just in a different medium. Um, I've been, you know, as an editor, you, your job is to identify 
you know, the voices and the stories that are worth telling and then to hone and, and shape those stories um, and make sure that they reach the masses. And, and so this was, this required me to kind of turn that journalistic lens on myself and mine my own life for those stories that were worth telling um, and to get out of my way and, and to tell them honestly and truthfully and courageously. And I did. And, and honestly, it's the most liberating expression of myself. It's the rawest thing I've ever done. It's the most, you know, as an editor, you also know this as well as, uh, you know, working in television, working in media, everything is a collaboration. It's, it's yeah. about taking a bunch of voices and making them work well together. It's about, you know, leading a creative team towards a common goal. But this was about <laughs> just managing myself and telling my story. And um, it's the scariest thing you could do because um, you definitely feel exposed. And you, like I said, you can't control people's reactions um, to it. And you can't share the blame with anyone, right? You can't right. share, you know, so, so you just sort of feel exposed and naked in a way. But, um, but then when you feel, when, when you get met with um, warmth and rece- when there's, a, when there's recept, when, when people, when it's well received and you feel that warmth and you feel that people um, met you where you, where you are and, 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 brought themselves to it as well and that it it was able to connect with them then you're it's it's honestly the most liberating project that you, you, one could ever take on um yeah, I so i yeah i think it's it's a powerful thing to be honest and to be able to tell your your truth absolutely the impact has been huge and hopefully one day soon based on some news that i've read we'll see this bad boy in some capacity on television as well which is yes sir exciting one thing i love that you said there elaine is you talked about being willing to answer the call you know I, I do so much work in leadership and development and i travel all across the country and world working with people and people always are complaining about why x isn't happening why y isn't happening and what they don't realize is someone something has been knocking on the door a call has been coming in but they've been unwilling to answer the call. And I have to remind people sometimes that not making a decision is making a decision. And I went back, get this Elaine, to an interview we did. This is on the, this is on the internet, on YouTube that you mm-hmm. and I did way back in 2012. And you said something profound there that really touches on answering the call. You said, don't be afraid to take that first step. A lot mm-hmm. of people never leave the home stage, end quote. And you're talking about your journey, finding your way from Newark, sexy Newark, California, uh, to New York City. So I think that's what you're talking about, being willing to take that first step, even if you can't necessarily see where it's going to end up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so let's dig into this From question. the mouths of babes, eh? <laughs> what was that, 23, 22? 2000, wait, I'm going to put that, that link in the show notes if y'all want to see Elaine back in 2012 when she was working for Glamour Magazine. I believe. But so, but let's dig into this question of the podcast and that, and that being, what would you say, Elaine, is one of the best things to ever happen to you? That's, that's not one of those traditional markers of success. We talk about the best thing and people always normally say getting married or having kids or graduating from college or buying a home and, and all that's cool and good. But you and I both know there are some other best things that can happen in our lives that have a profound effect on who we are moving forward. So what's one, I know you probably have many of those, but what's one of those things for you? Well, listen, there's so many, uh, of my 
you know, best thing stories I've told in the book. Um, and so I was really trying to think about what is the best thing that happened to me um, that maybe isn't in my book. And I, and I couldn't, I couldn't because it's all in there. It's the, and, and that I think it just speaks to the fact that I was that honest in the book. Um, but I think one of the things that I'm rarely asked about in the book, because it is potentially because it is so raw and um, sort of heartbreaking um, that I don't, I haven't talked very much about is getting cheated on <laughs> and finding out and the whirlwind that that threw my life into um, and, and how now being on the other side of it, looking back, I, I can count that among the very best things that ever happened to me. You know, typically when people share the best thing, right, while it's happening, by no means is it the best thing. It's like what comes out of it that ends up being the best thing. So, yep. of course, that, that's a sensitive topic, right? Getting cheated on. That, that, that hurts. It's not fun. It's, it's many will say, unethical. Um, what was, for you, the takeaway from that? Like you said, the whirlwind that it, it took with your life. What, what was the takeaway that has shaped and informed how you roll today? So many takeaways. Um, so I was cheated on by someone that I refer to in the book as future husband, because I, uh, had slotted him into that role in my life. I thought this was going to be the man that I would marry. And I was so certain of it. So certain that I had started to make some compromises in my life, um, big and small to accommodate for this big new best thing that was that had just moved into my life and that was taking up a lot of space um and i didn't realize until afterwards hindsight's always 2020 that i a process of, of shrinking had started to occur mm. shrinking my personality um changing the way i felt about myself um you know, a shrinking of my courage, a shrinking of my confidence, uh, shrinking of my self-esteem and um, even the way that I presented myself in the world and the clothing choices that I made and, you know, small things, um, which, which are big things, you know, in, in the scheme of things, uh, um, all sort of started to sh change while I was in this relationship. And what I realized is that I was, I had also been slotted into his life, into a space that was too small for me. And he had a big life and uh, a big future that I was sort of cast to be a uh, supporting role in, to play a, a porting, to play a supporting role in, right? Not a starring role, a supporting role. And um, I had become okay with that. And I was, I was actually striving to be good enough for that role. Um, and I remember being asked things like, you know, if I have to host my CEO and, and, and his wife and our colleagues at home, could you, could you do that? Could you host them? How would you, how would you handle that? Like it sort of felt like I was being interviewed for a job <laughs> and a job that maybe I really wasn't qualified for and maybe a job that I didn't really want. But, 
you know, I was already, there was a conveyor belt. I was just, I was on this, I was on, this was sort of my fate. Right. And like, no matter how ill-fitting or how much I had to contort myself to fit into it, I was willing to do that work because I had already, you know, defined this person in my life as my husband, my future husband. And I think that women are taught to, to die to themselves um, in order to be a value to a partner um, and to, you know, you die to your family when you have children. And I think that we have a lot of unpacking that we need to do around that concept. Um, Cause I think it's actually more damaging than it is helpful to the family unit unit. Um, and anyway, so I, and, and in another, you know, in another light, you could look at this relationship and think of it as like sort of the fairy tale, right? This is the sex in the city dream that every millennial woman was sold. You know, you move to New York, you get the fancy job, you get the, you know, rich banker boyfriends, you know, he buys you the apartment and the sky and builds out the, 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 the closet and, and like the rest is history buys you the shoes, the Manolos, the lubes. And like, you know, you eventually, you know, maybe you keep a little side job, but like, you don't have to, it's like, there was this, there was this, there were these archetypes of what success looked like. And these, these gender roles that, you, we were all assigned and uh, we fit into those um, on the surface, but beneath the surface, um, there wasn't a lot of soul fulfilling connection. And so I was able though, to ignore that when there was a, when, when, when we were existing in a state of homeostasis, when, when, when there was, you know, when I wasn't, I didn't have to know or see the truth. I could live in a lie. And I think mm-hmm. that's true of all of us. When we don't ha- when we aren't forced to reckon with the truth, we can construct and live in a lie of our own creation. And so I think we were both doing that on some level unconsciously. And so eventually once I, you know, it's a crazy story, by the way. I mean, if there's anything salacious in my book, <laughs> it it might be this part and it's all true. And it was actually really therapeutic to write about. I got to say, felt really good to get those were the, those were the pages that flowed out the fastest. I will tell you, I wrote like 45 pages in one sitting. Uh, oh. And it, and it plays out like a, almost like a, a movie. It's, it was not fun or fantastical to experience this um, kind of heartbreak and betrayal in real time. But I will tell you when I found myself on my, as they say, you know, bathroom, bathroom floor moment, your rock bottom moment. And I uh, was literally laying on my cold parquet floor of my Harlem apartment that I had to go back to. um, And I was just looking at the ceiling and I was coming out of the haze of why me God and I suddenly just got this wave of relief and this wave of gratitude and this feeling, this feeling of joy that, and like peace, true peace that filled every part of me, every broken part, every empty part, all the voids, dark parts, just it was all replaced with light. And I looked at him and I just felt sorry for him. Mm. I I thought I have everything I need to be okay. I have 
everything I need inside of me. I have God. I have in my integrity. I have my future. I have my friends and family. What do you have if you don't have your integrity? What do you have if you aren't walking with God? What do you have if you're betraying people that have shown you love and that you claim to love? Like, I feel sorry for you, but I can no longer be the savior for you. Like, I felt this, it's, it's a weird thing that happens. I think this also happens to women who've experienced domestic violence um, or any form of abuse. It's like, there is this weird thing that, sh- that happens where you feel that you, it's your responsibility to save and fix and heal the person who has broken you, mm-hmm. who has hurt you. And I was caught in that for a long time. I didn't tell anybody about what we were, what, what had happened, what had transpired between us, because I didn't want him to become the bad guy. I wanted to protect his image and his, and his ego and everything. Um, and I just gave up. <laughs> I just gave up the lie. I just gave it up. And I was like, you know, the other thing is I realized that there were some unhealthy kind of sort of gender roles that I, or gender assignments that I think I had unconsciously subscribed to that I needed to hit unsubscribe on quick (laughs) in order for me to become the full, the full woman and the full, become the full picture of who I was meant to be. I needed to unsubscribe from these limiting belief systems and um, these limited beliefs and these, and these kind of like outdated, you know, ideals about the role that a man plays, the role that a woman plays. And I realized it was a very interesting thing that happened. I I do believe everything is spiritual. Even, even the, even professional, you know, our professional journey, I think is largely a reflection of an inner spiritual journey. And when I learn spiritual lessons, you're from, in my experience, when I have learned spiritual lessons, I have been rewarded professionally. It's a weird thing. Like when I finally got out of that relationship, when I finally chose me and I decided to never call him again, literally two weeks later, I got the call for Teen Vogue. And I feel, I feel like at the time I felt like my life was over at 25, which is so silly in retrospect. But in, but when I, now, when I look back, my whole life started my whole life started in that moment when I closed the door in that relationship and I allowed me to really pursue the person that I was meant to be in and the path that I was meant to be on. And the world sort of opened up to me in all of these unexpected ways. And I felt like I, I had gotten this tangible reward for this, you know, spiritual kind of, you know, lesson of obedience and surrender and um, and knowing that I was enough on my own, really, really, really walking in that belief that I wasn't enough on my own and that I did not need this relationship or this man to validate me and my worth. And I know that we say that a lot, like we've especially now throw that around a lot in women's empowerment kind of space, but really knowing that and walking in that and having to make hard decisions based on that awareness is, is that's, that's a whole different thing. And I, and I had to live that in order to, in order to become the person I was meant to be. So I, I, I'm grateful that that happened to me now. I'm so grateful because I think, God, I would have married the wrong person. I would have willed myself into this, this 
hole that I would have gotten stuck in this corner that I would have felt stuck in. Um, I would have probably given up my career before it ever even took off and moved away to where he lived for his career to support him. And that would have been a death sentence for me. (laughs) So now I'm just like, thank God. And I also, the last thing I'll say is I realized, you know what? I became, I, I grew up and became the man that the world told me to marry. Like Mm. I, I, I did that. And, and I realized the things that the world told me I needed in a partner and a man are actually the things I can do for myself. The things that I need from a partner are actually not financial. They're not based in some fallacy of stability. Like we now know that doesn't even exist. I mean, we're living in a pandemic for God's sakes, but we don't have control over anything. <laughs> there is no such thing as stability, you know? Um, the, the the intangibles that I really needed looked entirely differently differently than than what the world was ta- presenting to me and what these relationships that I was attracting were were, were offering me and um, it just completely changed kind of my mo in terms of what I realized I needed and was looking for in a partner and um, at the top of the list was integrity um that wasn't that became something that in character and like the things that i started to place more value on are the things that um that most reflect who i really am so it's it's that's that's my that's my that's my best thing that ever happened to me it's a little it's depressing but it really is the best thing it's not depressing by no means in many ways i feel like you were preaching right there and i and i love it and there's just a few things i want to unpack from that elaine and i'm really honored to be willing to share that. And I, I can know readers obviously can really connect to that in ways that may be hard for them to articulate. I'm blown away that that, that was easy for you to write, that those 45 pages showed up because I would guess that that would be a challenge. But just some, just some reminders here and some things you shared is that what a beautiful reminder that how sometimes on paper, quote unquote, on paper, everything can look good. But as we all know, on paper doesn't tell the whole story. And somewhere somehow we're telling a, a lie to ourselves. I like to ask mm-hmm. people sometimes, what's the biggest lie you tell to yourself? And mm-hmm. when you unpack that question, woo, you might hear some things that scare you, scare you and you realize some changes are going to need to be made. But you also mentioned this powerful affirmation that I hope everyone, as, you, as I say this, you're going to say this to yourself as well, that I have everything I need. What a powerful mm-hmm. affirmation at any time, whether it's a pandemic or just a regular old Wednesday when not much happens, that indeed you do have everything you need. The question I want to lead to for this, Elena, is you talked about this process of shrinking. You talked about you know trying to fit into a space that was too small for you and essentially playing a supporting role in your own life. My hunch is that there's some people listening to this right now, male, female, and beyond that are truly resonating to what you're saying. And of course, for you, unfortunately, that led to someone cheating on you that made allowed you to make some shifts. But for that person that may not find themselves with an event like that being the catalyst for them, what do you say to that man or woman to say how to find some courage to no longer shrink, to find some of that ambition to no longer play a supporting role in their life, but rather the lead, the lead role? Hmm. Oh, it's such a big question. I will say there is this quote that I heard um, that stuck with me that I call on in moments when I need a little courage or when I am feeling the 
the call um, to do things differently. And I don't really know how, or I, I don't really want to acknowledge it, or I'm in denial about it. Um, and, and it was this, it says this, it says, when the music changes, so must your dance. And it's very simple. It's a very simple concept, but it is really profound in practice. And I think that our jobs, what, it, what, it, what, what I take from that is our jobs are to listen for the music and to be led by that music and to be in, stay in step with that music, stay in rhythm with the music that is our lives, um, which is the call of, on our lives, I should say. And if you can be still long enough, if you can quiet your life just enough to where you can actually feel what's happening, what's shifting, then you can surrender to it and say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for my new steps. I'm ready for my new dance. I'm ready to do things differently. The other thing I'll say is um, when I was approaching a really scary decision in my career where I felt really, I felt led to leave my post at Teen Vogue, which is really the title um, and the, the, the position that the world came to know me for. Um, so walking away from that was like shedding this identity um, that I had earned in some way or in, in the world's eyes. And who would I be without that? Right. Like, but I knew it was time. I could feel it because of that concept of, you know, when the music changes so much your dance, I could feel the music shifting. I could, I could feel it. It was palpable. Um, and yet you don't always have the next dance move. You don't always have the next step. Right. And so I sought counsel from a mentor of mine and I, I, I told her, you know, here's where I'm at. I kind of shared, I shared where I was with her. And she said to me, do you want to know what I think? And I was like, of course. I mean, you're freaking, it, this, this was a, a, a very well-known person um, who I admired, you know, from afar for a long time and just found myself, like had manifested myself onto her couch. And I'm like, how is this even happening? And now you want to tell me about my life? Like, yeah, please, please tell me what you think. And so she looked at me and she said, I think the universe is calling you to be a little bit braver right now. And yo, I could never unhear that. Mm. I still cannot unhear that when I know I'm operating beneath my full courage. Like when, I, when, I'm, when I'm operating you know, when I'm not operating at my full capacity for courage, I still hear the whispers of, you know, those words. And, and I, and they're so instigating. They're just like, oh shit. <laughs> they just expose the areas that you're still operating, the areas in your life where you're still being operated by fear. It's just, you're exposed. And um, so, yeah, that's it. I would just say to whoever is listening to this, that's just like, <sighs> but how, but how do I make these changes? But do I really need to, but I don't really, you know, if you're waffling, listen, the universe is calling you to be a little bit braver right now. Just a little bit. That's the part that I really like about this quote <laughs> that she hit me with. Just a little bit braver. 
it doesn't, this, this doesn't need to happen overnight. You don't become like this courageous, fearless warrior, you know, who's not, and if, not affected by any, anything overnight. It's just baby step by baby step. Breath that one, that one degree. Yeah. Day by day. Yep. Oh my goodness. Just a little bit braver. Um, when the music changes so much, your dance. What I love about that person that gave you that advice, Elaine, is that she said, do you want to know what I think? Like she said, she basically is like, are you ready for this? She, she wanted right. to make sure she, you, she, you had her permit. You had, excuse me. She had your permission to drop that gym. Right. Oh, when she dropped it. When she yeah. dropped it, I was never the same again, by the way. Oh, she I, asked I, permission. I, she asked permission to drop that bomb on me. And I will tell you when she did that, I, the decision whether to stay or go had been made. I mean, in that moment, I mean, months and months and months of agonizing in that moment over done. The decision was made for me and I never looked back, not for a millisecond. I moved forward courageously. I walked into Anna Winter's office and I quit my job with my head held high, with her blessing to move forward in, with an extension of her hand and her hug, friendship. And I danced off into the sunset, if you will. And I never looked back and it only gets better. That's the thing. It only gets better. And it doesn't mean your life becomes perfect and there's no challenges ever again, but it, it gets better when you're walking in your purpose and when you're, when you're, when you're obedient to that call. So yeah, I hope this helps somebody. I hope this reaches somebody because um, I know- you me? <laughs> this is reaching uh, the person interviewing you right now. This is reaching a lot oh. of people. It only gets better. And even sometimes the universe, friends, family, they may not understand your decision, but guess what? They don't have to as long as you do. Just because you're going your own way doesn't mean it's the wrong way. And Elaine, I can't thank you enough for making time to be on this podcast and to share- you know, some of your story. If you have not read the book more than enough, you can get this bad boy in hardcover. You can get this bad boy in paper book. You can listen to mm-hmm. the audio book and beyond. All of them will treat you good. Elaine, for people that want to learn more about you, uh, where do you want to send them to? You can check out my work um, from my website, elainewelteroth.com. And you can Follow along, follow along with my daily adventures on Instagram. They'll definitely have some fun adventures on Instagram. I like to check in on them. So again, thank you so much, Elaine. I'm on the squad. I'm always going to support any way that I can. So glad we met so many years back. Uh, I continue to be uh, proud of you and, and not surprised by any means of what you're up to and what you're going to continue to do. Thank you, Antonio. Same to you. Likewise. Thank you for having me on. This was a blessing. This was awesome. You got it. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.